0: everybody. You are listening to season one of the mini journal series, episode four. Today, we are speaking with Lindsay. Lindsay and her husband spent almost four years in the pursuit of creating a family. And after lots of heartbreak, finally became pregnant with their baby Madeline on their final attempt at IVF. Lindsay shares her success story with us as well as the failures and heartbreak that were par for the course. I want to thank Lindsay again for sharing her story. And now on to the episode. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, why don't we have you start with your story. Everybody listening, we are speaking with Lindsay Walsh, or is it Lindsay...
1: Summers is my uh, married name.
0: Perfect. Okay, so we are talking with Lindsay Summers, and she is um, part of the IVF Journal series. So she is sharing her story and experience with IVF. And so I will just have you go ahead and, um, and start from wherever you think is best.
1: Awesome. Um, well, like she said, my name is Lindsay Summers and, um, I'm 32 years old. Um, my journey with IVF started a couple of years ago. Um, but, I had been on birth control since I was 15 for issues, um, maintaining my period, um, and with ovulation, um, uh, I met my husband, um, we got married in September of 2013 and not long after, um, we were 28 when we got married, not long after we decided that we wanted to start a family. Um, so I decided to go off the pill. Um, I'm sure many folks have experienced this, but, you know, you wait month after month. Um, and I actually never, my period never returned. So I um, sought out my OBGYN, um, who decided to um, try and kickstart my period with a medication called Provera. Um, and she said okay no problem in in two weeks um, you should get your period and kind of that'll kickstart your hormones and everything will be fine well two weeks later nothing had happened um, so I went back a couple weeks later um, and she found it rather odd that the the medication hadn't worked and recommended that I see a reproductive endocrinologist and um, which was a little concerning to me. You know, I thought, you know, I know I'd had trouble with my period in the past, but when you're younger, you never really think about what happens when you're ready to start a family. Family. No one really talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went off to the, the RE and um, they do a, bunch of f- testing they do an ultrasound to look at your ovaries and your follicles and all that kind of stuff and they do a bunch of blood tests um, and when we sat down with him he said so you're a healthy 30 year old female at the time and I said yeah I'm a, I'm a runner um, at the time you know I, I've been running since 2007 um, when I graduated from college um, about 60 miles a week running marathons. Um, he said, okay, well, well, great. Um, you know, I think we'll put you on some ovulation induction medication and we'll get you pregnant in a month or two. So my husband and I were like, well, this sounds great. So, you know, they do give oral medications. I think I took a couple months of Clomid, um, and about four months of a drug called Femera or Letrozole. Um, and month after month, nothing was happening. Um, I wasn't getting pregnant. Um, I would get my period after four weeks, um, like clockwork. So it was getting really frustrating. The doctor kept you know, saying that everything looked great. Um, they monitor you at, throughout um, throughout the process each month. So they see when kind of the optimal time for, um, in our case, we were just doing timed intercourse for these six cycles.
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, so after the six cycles, the doctor said, well, I think we should be a little more aggressive. Why don't we try injectable medications and then do, um, an intrauterine, uh, insemination which is where they um, take the sperm and put it in a catheter and kind of bypass the cervix, um, which can be an issue for, for a lot of women. Um, So we said, okay. And obviously it's a little more expensive. Um, They do the injectable medications are very expensive. um, And the insemination is, Um, obviously more expensive than having sex with your husband. (laughs) Um, So we said, okay, let's give it a shot. So everything looked great. The doctor was really happy. Um, And again, four weeks later, I got my period and I wasn't pregnant. Um, And I think at that point we were in maybe June of 2015. So a little over a year after we had started the process. Um, and we were pretty emotionally tired um, at this point. Um, it's, you know, you're going in a couple times a week to get monitored, and that two-week wait after um, either the sex or the insemination is just mentally taxing. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so you're just, like, waiting to to find out if you're pregnant or not. Um, so we decided after that that um, the doctor recommended that we try IVF um, just because he really couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, so we decided to take a little break. In um, that time, I actually had a pelvic stress fracture from oh, too goodness. much running. Oh, um, and running it, you know, throughout this process had been kind of my escape, um, my alone time to like, you know, think about everything going on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and unfortunately, that was taken away from me for about eight weeks um, while we were waiting to start the IVF process. Ugh. Yeah.
0: That part, I mean, <laughs> as I'm a runner, I can relate and I can just imagine, well, I can relate to running being a, a stress release. So I'm yeah. sure that was really hard. <laughs>
1: was really difficult. Um, but you know, everything healed perfectly and we were all set to start IVF in September of 2015. Um, and due to some of my like testing results, um, in between that time, they decided to go with a pretty high dose of medication. Um, so we started stimming, um, because my, um, I never really ovulate on my own, and my ovaries are suppressed all the time. They didn't have to do any priming. Um, so they just kind of start with the stimulation right away. Um, so I started, I think, on 300. Um, that's the dosage of the medication. Oh, okay.
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah, of- that is a high dose of going all, going all left.
1: Yeah, I think it was Stim at the time, gotcha. but yeah, the same thing. Okay. Um, along with menop- Menopur, I think is the name of the other um, yeah. drug. Um, it's hard to remember. It was so long ago at this point. But um, so it stimmed pretty well, we stimmed a little bit longer than they had anticipated. Um, and they ended up retrieving uh, nine eggs on our first round. Um, and they like to do a day five transfer, um, for most of their patients. Um, unfortunately I got a call on day three that there were two that were performing well and the others were not, um, developing as they should be. So they decided to just implant those two embryos and, um, take it from there. Um, and unfortunately none of the other embryos made it and I did not become pregnant on that first cycle. Um, which was devastating. I mean, my husband and I had been, you know, at this for so long and we just, we desperately wanted to start a family. Um, so we decided, you know, at this point it was probably early October of 2015. We decided that mentally we just needed to take a break um, and, and weigh our options. So we thought about it through the holidays. Um, we looked into adoption agencies. Um, we ran a couple marathons in the meantime. <laughs> um, and ultimately we decided to give it one last shot. Um, that was all I thought my body could handle, all I thought kind of emotionally I could handle. Um, so in January of 2016, um, we went back to our doctor and said, okay, this is it. And he said, all right, well, if this is, if this is it, I'm going to go with the most aggressive protocol to try and give you the best chance that I can. And he added, um, a drug called Omnitrope, which is actually a uh, human growth hormone. So okay. no, I will never be a professional <laughs> runner. <laughs> and I'm very
0: curious about that because I wasn't sure what it was that, like, like why why that impacts or has an impact on your running. Is it because it's not something that, like, legally you should take if you're a runner?
1: Yeah, I think gotcha. it's considered, like, a, a doping drug.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Um,
1: so... <laughs> But uh, you've been
0: fully transparent that <laughs> I have
1: been fully transparent <laughs> and it worked out well. So, um, yeah, everything went really well. I stimmed better than I did the previous cycle. Um, they were able to retrieve 16 eggs this time, wow. which I totally attribute to the, the human growth hormone. Um, and we had nine embryos, um, on day five, we finally made it to what they call the blast stage, mm. um, which is um, how they uh, yeah. the the cells kind of progress. Um, and so on day five, they input two grade A embryos back in. Um, sorry, I get choked up when I talk about it, oh. <laughs> just because it was such a like meaningful time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but. Ultimately, um, one of those little embryos that could became our Aww. daughter, Madeline Lee. Uh, and she was born in October of 2016. Oh, well, <laughs>
0: that gives me just like this warm feeling in my <laughs> inside. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was, it was just like such an amazing process. I had an amazing pregnancy, um, I ran actually throughout my entire pregnancy, um, which was amazing. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, she's the light of our lives. She's um, such a happy-go-lucky little girl. So we've been (laughs) truly blessed.
0: (laughs) Um, Did you get to look at the cells when they were like in the Petri dish? Is that a thing? Yeah, actually, they (laughs) take pictures of them.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Yeah, so I have a picture of
1: actually all nine of my embryos um, from day five. And only of those nine, two were implanted and two made it um, to good enough grade to freeze. But it's a pretty cool picture to actually look back on.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, there's not many parents who get to have a picture of their little baby when they were just a little... um, whatever blast
1: yeah group uh, of cells it's amazing
0: before they're even a zygote you know yep um that's just that's pretty incredible and at some point maybe you'll be able to say like oh look that's what you were before
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) you you
0: turned into a human
1: (laughs) absolutely it'll be a pretty neat um neat thing to be able to share
0: yeah, I can just see it like a science project or something. Which yeah, is late, exactly. Like later in life, being like
1: or show and tell. Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> this is what I started as, and now yep. i me. <laughs> um. So I, as you were telling your story, a few, a few things uh, popped up into my mind. So, um, I guess the first one was, you know, you said that you and your husband like took some breaks throughout the process to kind of reevaluate, which, um, I've heard from a lot of, a lot of the people who have shared their stories, like how that's kind of crucial. You need to take time to process, especially after it doesn't go the way that you had planned. Um, but was there anything else that kind of helped you to stay mentally strong? Because I'm sure that a lot of it really came down to you being able to stay, um, somewhat positive or, or, or were you really not feeling positive at certain points? Um, I guess kind of talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were certainly times during the process where I didn't feel positive at all. um, Where, you know, I had just gotten so down on the fact that my body couldn't do what it was supposed to be doing. Um, But I think, you know, through this process, my husband and I got a lot closer um, and he, you know, no matter what was happening, he was saying, like, I love you and, you know, we're whatever happens, like we have each other and we'll become parents no matter what. Mm. So I think he kind of kept me a little grounded and sane um, throughout the whole process and i've heard that from like some other um women who have gone through this that throughout everything like they've become so much closer to their spouse
0: yeah i've actually heard well through this project right. um, i i don't have a group of peers that have gone through this proje- process but um so many women have said like yes this has been extremely difficult but you really really, really bond with your partner when you go through something like that.
1: Yep. Totally.
0: Yeah. Um, Did you ever feel like um, maybe, I don't know, like your husband wasn't getting the support that he needed in terms of like the emotional stuff that he was going through? Not necessarily – like I'm sure that you were – Like thinking about that, but did you ever feel like, wow, like there's some stuff, like there are some resources for women, but there's not really enough for men who are going through infertility because it's, I think that a lot of the focus is placed on the woman who's going through it um, when it really is something that's like a joint thing.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I mean, we obviously had each other and we were able to talk to each other about it. But I also had a group of women that I knew that I was able to, to talk to about it. And he kind of kept everything else kind of bottled up inside. And he also knew that when I was really upset that he had to be strong for me. Mm. So even if he was upset or, um, or having a hard time, a lot of the times, because I was the one really physically going through everything, he felt like he had to be strong. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It seems to me like there's just, when you think about the number or the percentage of couples that go through infertility, um, or just go through, um, a process when it comes to getting pregnant, like it doesn't just happen the traditional way. Um, it seems like you would think that there would be a lot more out there for both men and women when it comes to like support. Um, And I think that there, there are good like support groups and that kind of thing, but I don't necessarily think that there's enough for men. And I don't think that there's enough for like couples as like together um, to help them through the process and to help them stay strong, like within their marriage. And I think that it's really wonderful when that happens. But I think that I've also heard of situations where it doesn't happen and it kind of breaks the marriage apart, um, which is really heartbreaking to hear because it's like, oh man, like the fact that this couple wanted a baby so bad that it broke their marriage apart, you know?
1: Yep. I totally agree. I've heard, um, kind of both sides of, of that. Um, I have actually I actually saw a, a video on Facebook, um, maybe six months or a year ago, by a woman named Leah Campbell. Um, and in that video, she kind of goes through, she has video clips from people that submitted them to her about their journeys to create a family th- what, through infertility, whether that was adoption or IVF. Um, and there was one story of a woman who said, you know, it broke my marriage, but in the end it was all worth it because I have her. And mm. she was talking about her daughter. I mean, I think that can totally can totally be true. It either really makes you or breaks you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting. Um, have you read the book by Jodi Picoult, The Sing You Home? Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's what it's called. I I haven't. Okay. Well, I need to put it out as a recommendation, um, I guess, as part of this series in the show notes. But it's a really good book. It's about um, a couple who has been struggling for almost a decade to have a baby. Um, And the woman is – or maybe it's half a decade. It's a a significant amount of time. Um, But she has gone through – countless, um, you know, successes, but then she's had these like really late, you know, second trimester miscarriages. Um, and ultimately her husband is like, I can't do this anymore. Like I know that we have frozen embryos left, but I can't watch you do this to your body any longer. Um, and they end up going through this like really bitter divorce, um, type of thing, and there's, like, a custody battle with the embryos, but basically, I mean, it just kind of – I mean, it's a story, so a lot of it is sensationalized a little bit, Um, but I read it and thought to myself, like, this is a really interesting thing to talk about because, you know, this, like, human instinct or human want to have a child is so basic and primal, but then – you know, it just can become so complicated and and heartbreaking and all of these different things. And it's kind of a hard thing to unravel, especially if you're the person going through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's so many different, um, different ways that it can go. I mean, I've had friends that have gotten pregnant on the, the first time they've ever tried. And then friends that have taken seven to 10 years to have children and complete their family. Um, It's just amazing how different everyone's bodies react.
0: Yeah. And kind of what each person's limit is, you know? Yep. I think um, that's another interesting thing that I've heard um, was women who have said, you know, I think that each person is different, but like, you'll know when you're at like, this is our last thing that we're going to do, or this is the last thing we're going to try. And it all kind of boils down to like what you and your partner decide, but then also like your own, um, just instinct or intuition. Like this is all that I can handle. This is all that I can do. And then we got to move on to like the next thing. Um, so I guess that is a good segue for one of my next questions, which is, um, how did, how did you and your partner go about making those decisions? Like, did you guys ever disagree on what would be, um, kind of your final shot? I know that you guys were so blessed to have your, like, last go round be successful. Um, but did you have conversations about, like, how that would look? Or did you ever disagree on what you, you know, what, what you wanted to do? Um,
1: I think for the most part we were really on the same page. Um, you know, after our first IVF failure, <coughs> um we were both really depressed and didn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um so we talked about it a lot. We looked into adoption, um but ultimately we both decided that we wanted to try one more time to have biological children. Um you know, that was pretty important to us. Um so, you know, from a physical standpoint, I didn't think that I could handle much more than that. Um, the drugs were really, really tough on my body. Um, and we also didn't want to like stop our lives forever. Um, we were both big runners, big into travel, um, and when you're going through this process, I'm literally at the doctor every other day getting monitored. Um, so you can't go anywhere. Um, I, I couldn't run during, you know, the, all of the stimulation and retrievals and all of that stuff. Um, so, so physically, um, I just, I just only thought that, you know, one more time would, that's all I could take. Mm. Um, so it was, it was, we were on totally on the same page in that regard. And we decided before we even did the second IVF that, you know, if it didn't work that we would take some time for ourselves and then ultimately adopt. Um, and obviously that process has its own, um, its own trials and tribulations and can take a really long time and a lot of money. Um, but we knew that ultimately we wanted to be parents. Um, and if it wasn't going to happen for us biologically, that we would, we would want to adopt. So, um, but also to answer your question, I think, you know, through a lot of discussion, we were on the same page throughout the whole process. Mm.
0: Do you have any like key tips? Um, I mean, Some of it probably just boils down to your connection and relationship with your partner. But do you have any tips for couples who are going through this on how to get on the same page and communicate in a way that brings you closer together as opposed to further apart?
1: I think it ultimately boiled down to communication. I Mm -hmm. mean, I think throughout the process, some couples just kind of retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and don't want to talk about it. Whereas, you know, I was pretty open with Andrew throughout, um, and he was open with me about how he was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that enabled us to really connect, um, and, and try and find common ground maybe where there might not have been, um, and, and that's kind of how our relationship is anyway. But I think through this process, that was the most, that was like the crucial thing is that we really communicated um, throughout.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's great. Um, I'm glad that, I'm glad that that was your answer because <laughs> I think that I do. I, I think that that's key. I mean, I don't. I feel like I'm always prefacing and saying, like, I don't know this from experience, um, but I, as a social worker, um, I think that when it comes to those dynamics and the, your relationships, um, I think that you're right. I think that, like, across the board, if you're able to be really open and honest and find common ground with the person that you're going through the difficult thing with, um, chances are that it'll be binding as opposed to, like, separating.
1: <laughs> yep, totally.
0: Yeah, that tends to be tends to be a trend. Um, and so I think that, you know, easier said than done, but, like, talking about all of those really difficult emotions can be the thing that kind of holds it all together. Yeah. Um, so another question I have for you is now you have your baby. She, you said she's 15 months old? Yep. um, do you guys think about like growing your family, what that might look like, or are you guys kind of like content that you have your baby and, um, have you had those kinds of conversations? I'm sure you have. We have, (laughs) um, it's,
1: we're still undecided at this point. Um, we still have two embryos left, um, that are frozen. Um, so I think when it, comes down to it, we'll ultimately decide to try um, with those last two embryos. Um, but I've decided when we've decided that um, we don't really want to go through the IVF process fully again, to try and get more embryos. Um, so I think, you know, we're still undecided whether if you know, we're not successful doing a frozen egg transfer, whether we'll be content just to have Madeline or whether um, we'll try and adopt a second child. Um, But um, yeah, to be determined um, (laughs) at a future date.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Do you, um, this might be way too personal a question, so you don't need to answer it, but do you guys kind of just operate on the basis now that like Because you don't know what's causing the issue. Do you guys, are you kind of like still like maybe we'll get pregnant naturally? It might just happen kind of thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're not doing anything to prevent pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, So if it does happen naturally, that would be amazing. Um, Surprisingly, actually, last month um, around just around New Year's, I got my first natural period Woohoo! essentially in my in my life. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> um, thanks. So that was pretty promising um for um my regulating hormones hopefully. Yeah. Um so it, it it I mean it is possible because we don't know the cause for the infertility. Um but ultimately because it was so difficult the first time around, you know, our our thought was that it would likely require intervention. So who knows?
0: Sure. Um, What are your thoughts on what the role that birth control played um, in your issues? Because you said you've been on it or you had been on it since you were 15. Do you think that that had like suppressed stuff enough that you – it's just taking a really – it was just taking like a really long time to get your body back on track or? It's
1: totally possible. Um, I – personally think so. The doctors, Mm -hmm. all of the doctors I've seen had said that had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Um, And they've obviously gone through medical school and studied all this stuff. So they know more than I do. Um, But just the fact that I was on it for 15 years with really without a break, um, just led me to believe that it might have suppressed my system more than anyone thought it did. Um, And it might have just needed a lot more time to regulate. And the time that we really weren't, um, we didn't have, I mean, I'm 32 years old. Sure. Um, so, you know, waiting much longer, um, would have. if it's been not a, like you
0: had five years to be like, Oh, maybe it'll right. happen. Maybe it won't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, see, I find that really interesting because I can imagine that, I mean, I don't like, you know, I'm not a medical doctor either, so um, I don't really have any grounds for hypothesizing, Um, but I just think that, I mean, I wonder how many studies there are that exist that talk about, like, women who have tried to get pregnant after being on birth control for over a decade, Um, and I'm sure they exist I mean they they've got to, I I would think. I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> but but if they don't, then my first thought would be I mean to me it seems like when you start connecting the dots and you start connecting the sort of like the timeline that is the bit, first thing that I thought of when I read your story was I was like, wow, I wonder if, you know, it's like if she's gonna start telling her story and say like and the doctors concluded it was because I had been on birth control for this long yeah um so I mean like that's the first thing I thought of
1: and it it, yeah I was actually surprised that when I first went to the doctor nobody really talked about the fact that I was on birth control for that long nobody like honestly none of the doctors batted an eye um which is what literally was really shocking to me but um maybe they've kind of concluded in the kind of fertility industry that it really has no, no cause, um, that has no cause on infertility. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I think it's all interesting. And I think what I find actually to be the most concerning, um, for me as a woman is that a lot of those things are not more transparent. And, um, I don't think that there's enough out there that can just sort of conclusively say like unequivocally the birth control does not cause this or that or, and, and a, a lot of that I think comes down to like the, you know, the emphasis that we place on the importance of having that information. Um, right. And I think that women should have more access to the, you know, possible consequences of using something. Um, because it's our bodies.
1: Totally. A hundred percent. And yeah. um interesting story. Um, you may have seen like commercials maybe a decade ago um about Yasmin call causing I can't remember whether it was like stroke and heart attack mm-hmm. and actually gallbladder disease. Oh geez. Well I had my gallbladder removed in, um, I think October of 2009. Um, and they're pretty sure that it was because I had been on Yasmin, this birth control drug for almost 10 years at that point. Um, so it's pretty amazing what these drugs, um, can do and can, can cause.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and just across the board, like, um, So personal bit of information about me. I was an egg donor um, for just personal reasons. Um, It felt like something that I was called to do. Um, Just, I mean, I I think probably at some point, at some point I'm going to do a series on egg donation um, Mm -hmm. because I find that to be interesting. And I think there's a lot of different reasons why women choose to do that. Um, But as someone who's very, uh, interested in the research and educating myself on things, I was like, you know, there's just really not enough out there on what you know the dangers are of being on an IV, like on like the medications that cause that you know you're using to stem. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And there's not enough regulation surrounding you know how many times a woman is allowed to donate or if they're going to register for like the donor registry. Um, there's just so much out there that's not, I don't think, very well regulated. It's definitely not transparent. Um, and it all kind of comes back to that, like, women's reproductive rights. And, like, I feel like there should just be a lot more emphasis placed on the research and stuff that comes out to show, like, whether or not, you know, what we're putting in our bodies is good for us. Or, like I said, the consequences of certain things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I can relate to the stemming because i I did the same, yeah,
1: uh,
0: same that's meds. amazing
1: <laughs> good for you, that's great
0: <laughs> well, I mean it was a it was a the injections were not fun,
1: <laughs> no, no, they certainly aren't
0: <laughs> i mean it was uh it was it was an interesting process though, and extremely rewarding um I think so far in my you know adult life, the happiest. The, the purest joy that I felt was the day that um, I found out that my intended parents had had a successful pregnancy and everything was going well. And um, I don't know. That's I think that awesome. creating life is just magical.
1: <laughs> it is. And amazing that science exists yeah, that it can happen.
0: I know it really is because it's just like going back to that like primal desire to have a baby. I think that Anyone who wants to experience that should be able to. Um, Yeah. And so it's so so awesome when it happens.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Um, So in closing and wrapping up, is there anything that we didn't discuss that you would like to share? Maybe any advice for people? Um, Don't feel like you have to add something just to add it, but I always like to ask people if there's anything that they left out.
1: No, I I don't think so. I mean, in the end, I just, you know, I'm so lucky that I was able to go through the the process. I mean, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of money, a lot of shots. But, um, you know, in the end, we came out with kind of the most precious gift. And for that, we're really, really grateful.
0: All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lindsay, and I hope you are enjoying this journal series. Next week, I will be releasing the next four episodes in the series, so if you are enjoying this, stay tuned. Also, I want to remind everyone that I'm starting work on season two of the mini journal series, and the topic is eating disorders. If you feel comfortable sharing your story with the audience of Chasing Bravery, I want to hear from you. Email is the best way to contact me, chasingbraverywithkate at hotmail.com. And just a little heads up, my name is spelled K-A-I-T. I I know that's not the usual. I also want to share that I have a Patreon page that has just launched lots of bonus content for Patreon subscribers. As promised, I have uploaded the video diary I kept while I was going through the process of being an egg donor for anyone who is interested in what being a donor actually looks like. Warning, if you aren't great with needles, this is not for you. Being a Patreon really goes a long way in helping this show to grow, and it supports my ability to improve sound quality and bring on exciting guests and experts in particular fields relevant to the journal series topics. For example, this month I have a fertility doctor who has graciously recorded an episode with me that will be available only to Patreon subscribers. To become a Patreon, simply go to patreon.com forward slash chasingbravery06. There's also a link to this in the show notes just to make it a little easier. All right, everybody, keep leaving those ratings and reviews on iTunes. Please let me know how you are liking the mini journal series. I really want to hear from you. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Stay warm, and whatever you are chasing, you are chasing bravely.